Okay, so we are finishing this series tonight, which is This Is Not The End, in which we've been talking about the Easter story leading up to it. And we've been talking about everything Jesus went through. Um, talking about the fact that uh, he told his followers ahead of time that he knew it was coming, that he was betrayed in multiple ways. And that's kind of the big thing is not only did Judas betray him, which everybody knows about, but Peter betrayed what he stood for, and Peter betrayed who he was, and Peter eventually denied him three times and all of these things, and yet Peter was willing to ask for forgiveness where Judas wasn't. The other thing to remember is Jesus knew both of those things would happen in advance, uh, but even knowing that, he still washed all of their feet when he was showing them love, showing them how to serve, showing them who to be. And so that shows that even though he knew Judas was going to do this evil thing, and even though he knew everybody was going to run and Peter was going to turn away from him for a while, he still washed their feet and he still loved them and he still helped them and he still cared about them. And so we're going now. He's uh, been arrested. He's faced Pilate, Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor at the time. And um, what's crazy about him, and I preached about him this morning, so I'm not going to talk a ton about him now. Uh, he was not a great person. He was a politician, a lifetime politician. He had his power because he married the granddaughter of uh, Augustus Caesar. And he was a cruel and, and just really bad person, according to everybody. And he was also weak. And so, so he tried to cover that weakness by being even more cruel and by being angry. And yet, if you read through where he talked to Jesus, he listens. And it, he really kind of gets it, but he will not take the responsibility. Like, he wants... Jesus to to be free and he says you guys should free him but he will never do it because he's too afraid of losing power and too afraid of people not liking him too afraid of people thinking that he's weak and all of these things and so it's really tragic for his life that he sees that Jesus is the real deal but he cannot accept it so we're going to go to John 19 16 through 20 um then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went to the place called the Place of the Skull, in Hebrew, Golgotha. Uh, there they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, uh, the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. So this takes place after he was beaten almost to death. Uh, by something called a cat of nine tails, which had like lead uh, hooks in the whip. And so basically he was whipped, I believe, 39 times and it would hit his back. And when it pulled out, it would pull skin and, and chunks of flesh with it. And they did it over and over and over again. That And Pilate, that was Pilate thinking that he was tricking everybody by saying, hey, I'm going to make this look so bad. I'm going to make Jesus look like the, the victim here because obviously he was the victim. And then people are going to want him free, but it didn't work because the Pharisees were working their stuff. And, and so Jesus is weak as he's carrying the cross. And when he goes and he's uh, nailed to the cross, the thing with crucifixion, and we'll talk about that in just a second, um, there are a lot of ways you can die from it. So basically for him, his hands and his feet were nailed to the cross, so you're going to lose some blood. Uh, he's also still losing blood from being beaten. Uh, but mainly the thing is you suffocate. You slowly suffocate because you're hanging there, and then you'll like start to lose your breath, and you have to pull yourself up. And so every time you pull yourself up, your flesh rips, and it hurts. And so it gets harder and harder until you just don't have the strength to do it. Um, and it mentions that he's between two criminals. I, I didn't use the passage that talks about that, but I want to talk about it here. One of the most amazing things about Jesus, uh, besides the fact he's literally giving his life and his blood for us, for people that were literally hating him and wanting him to die, he's still doing it free will for us to give us a chance. But also, as he's going, 
uh, he prays from the cross, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. So like literally the people that are killing him, literally the people that don't believe in him, literally the people who are going against him and want him to die and chose a, a, a criminal over him, he is now saying forgive them because they don't know what they're doing, which again shows us how to live. But then on the cross, the two criminals, one of them is like, dude, why don't you just free yourself and get down if you're really who you say you are. And he's kind of mocking him and making fun of him. But the other one is like, hey, hold up. He is clearly innocent. We, are, we deserve to be here. He doesn't. And so he's like, hey, will you please remember me when you go to heaven? He, rem- he knows who Jesus is, even from that moment. And even from that moment, Jesus forgave him and gave him a chance, gave him the, the opportunity, gave him the place in paradise. And so it's an amazing story of forgiveness while he's hanging and dying on a cross, while he's been beaten, while he's been hurt, while he's been lied about, while he's been made fun of, while he's been betrayed, all of these things. And he's still showing forgiveness, which more than almost anything else shows who he is and shows what we're supposed to be. Um, In the church, we always say, be like Jesus, be like Jesus, be like Jesus. And it's very true. But sometimes we get stuck and we try to make Jesus like us instead. And so it's like, well, these are the five things that are most important to me and what I think is right and how I think somebody should look and how I think somebody should act and what I think somebody should do. And so that's clearly what Jesus thinks. Instead of looking to things like this, where Jesus is forgiving to the end and Jesus is loving to the end and Jesus is hopeful to the end. Um, And so the, the thing where it says he's the king of the Jews, that's the Romans mocking him. And that's everybody making fun of him. And he's got the crown of thorns and they played, they gambled for his clothes and all of these things just to continually heap on. Um, Even in our society, which can be messed up, like more often than not, probably all the time, when somebody is put to death, like there's not a whole rigmarole, which is old person uh, speak, uh, about them beforehand. Like they just, they get put to death, they die and that's it. Uh, you have to be kind of, um, you have to follow the Geneva Convention and all of those things about it. But with Jesus, who did nothing wrong ever, they're doing all of these things to add to the death. And it's not enough to just kill him. They have to try to kill the idea of him, which didn't work. Um, Going to the next part, John 19, 28 through 30. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. Uh, A jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So an important thing to remember is that none of this would have happened if he hadn't wanted it to happen. Um, He wanted to be our sacrifice. Back in the Old Testament days, God, uh, his plan is eternal. And it started before time existed. And I know that's impossible to figure out, but it did. And it goes on through the end of time. In the Old Testament, you've probably heard like that everybody sacrificed animals. And they sacrificed lambs. And they sacrificed... uh, different animals like that so that that's how they prayed. That's how they gave up their sins and such. The reason for that is because everybody else that wasn't a God follower was sacrificing children and women and all of these things. And so God knew that if he had said, hey guys, I want you to just love God and love each other. I want you to to just treat others as like you'd want to be treated, that everybody would be murdered and that it wasn't going to work because they didn't understand it yet. And so he led them along, just like teaching them how to crawl and then teaching them how to walk. And so he's like, hey, sacrifice an animal instead of a person, which sounds like a, a, a... obvious thing, but for them, they had to be told it. And so they sacrificed an animal. And so they would sacrifice lambs on the Passover. That's how uh, the angel of death went over when they were freed from Egypt and all of these things. And so Jesus was the final sacrifice. After he died, uh, the curtain tore 
in the, in the temple. And, and like it was God saying, hey, you can go directly to me now. Because at this point, everybody thought they had to go to the priest, to the rabbi, in order to pray, in order to talk. Imagine that for a second. Imagine if every time you wanted to talk to God, every time you wanted to ask for forgiveness, or every time you wanted to pray for strength, you had to go to, to me or Rob or, or a pastor or something, and you had to tell us everything and then trust us to go do it for you. Like, that's kind of crazy. But that's how things were. And so Jesus dying was to say, hey, you can go straight to him. Like, he's there for you. He's building a place for you. And so all of that was that. Plus, he's pouring out his blood. And the whole idea with sacrifice was the animal's blood would speak to God and call for forgiveness of the sins. And Jesus' blood did the same for us and gave us this chance to choose him. And he did it freely. And he did it for people before they were Christian. He didn't go and die for all the good people in the world. He went and died for everybody so that everybody would have a chance. Which means whether we like people or not, they have a chance. They have a choice. But it is a choice. Um, and so when he says it is finished, he's like, this is my role. This is my part. The whole idea of having to go to other people is finished. Now you can just go straight to Jesus. Now you can just go straight to God. Now you can build a personal relationship. Now you can be like him and learn from him and go from, from you know, following, I believe, I'm not going to get the number right, but like almost 700 rules uh, the Jewish people followed at the time that are we think of the Ten Commandments. There were like 700 of them, and they followed them. And they were some of them were very minuscule, some of them were huge, and they were all different. Uh, and Jesus, is like, you have to do this now. You love God, love others, which everything fits into that. But it gives us more opportunity to be ourselves and to build from that and to be like Him. Um, and so we keep doing that. And if the story ended here, it would still be victorious in a way, but it wouldn't be everything that it's supposed to be because he would still be the sacrifice. But in order to truly show us that there's a better way, in order to truly show us that we have a chance at heaven, in order to truly show us that he is who he says he is, um, he had to come back. And so we're going to John 20, 1 through 10. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, uh, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. Uh, he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures uh, that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. So this is kind of a funny story, but also an amazing story and a victorious story, because the disciple whom... Uh, Jesus loved is John, and he called himself that, and it's meant to be humble because he doesn't say his own name because it would be weird for him to constantly refer to himself in, in third person uh, while talking about himself and all these things. So he's like the disciple who Jesus loved, and it's humble. But as he writes this, he points out that he beat Peter in the race to the tomb, and that's kind of cool because it's him being humble but also saying, yeah, I still beat Peter, and now this is eternally known, and nobody can ever beat that. And so I like to think that he talks about Peter, talks to Peter about that now. Um, but it's fitting that these two were the, the second and third people to see him, Mary Magdalene, or to see that he was back. Mary Magdalene was the first, and she was one of his strongest disciples um, because she had been delivered from, from this horrible uh, affliction, and she was possessed, and all of these things happened, and everybody thought bad things about her, and people still say bad things about her. But she loved him so much that she gave her life to him. And at the time, uh, as a woman, like she had no rights, and for her to be the first one to see him, uh, people wouldn't accept the the 
uh, witness of women. They're like, well, that doesn't count. You have to have what a man says. And so it was messed up, but it was still Mary being there first because God's like, that's not true. Everybody is equal. Everybody is together. And so it's this really cool thing and giving Mary this chance to realize that he's back. And then Peter, uh, who had denied him, Peter, who had turned away from him and all of these things, got the chance to run to the tomb and he showed that he still cared and showed that he still loved and showed that he still had hope. And John, who was the only one at the cross still when Jesus was dying, who the only disciple that stayed and who took care of his mom and all of these things, uh, he was there too. And so it shows that they were the ones that were looking for him and everybody was, but they were the ones that were right there waiting. And when they saw it, they finally realized and they'd been with him for three years, Mary Magdalene less, but John and Peter especially had been with him for three years every day. They'd heard him talk about his upcoming death. They'd heard him talk about his resurrection. They'd heard him talk about the faith and about heaven and about his kingdom and all of these things. But until they saw that the tomb was empty, uh, they didn't really realize it. Now you may think, well, why did, did they really think he was gone? Like, did they think he came back? Um, it's very clear, John pointing out, that the wrappings were, were folded and put there. Uh, if someone had taken him, they're probably taking the wrappings with him, or they're not going to take the time to fold them, all of those things. So they kind of got it there. They were like, oh, wait a second, this is real. And in other accounts, if you read through it, you see different ways that angels talk to them, and they saw him, and they talked to him, and he came back. And there's time after that where he t talks to them and teaches them and helps them. But it is this moment that really is why we have Christianity today, because he came back, because he died for our sins, and he did it in a forgiving way, in a loving way, in a hopeful way, but then he also came back to say, hey, this is not the end. Death is not the end. Everything that you feel right now is not the end. It's so easy to get discouraged in this world, and it's so easy to get discouraged in our life, and it's so easy to lose hope. And Jesus is like, hey, all you have to do is remember that I am here, that I came back, that I'm bigger than death, that I can defeat death, and that is your hope. In fact, that's why we have church on Sundays. Um, the Sabbath is technically Saturday, and that's as far as 1 through 7 and all of that stuff, and the Jews still have church on uh, synagogue on Saturdays, but we made it Sundays, Christians made it Sundays to honor the resurrection every single day and every single Sunday. And so it's every Sunday that we have church. It's not the Sabbath, but it's saying, hey, Jesus had a new covenant for us and Jesus came back for us and Jesus gave this chance. Um, one of the things that I've said a lot in big church when I preach uh, is during the Easter time, we are very much ready to really be Christian and really love other people and really show hope and really show joy and really do everything we can to help people and to treat people like we want to be treated. And then Monday happens and it's like, oh, we're back to life. Um, we have to do this all the time. And I know that sometimes we don't have, you guys as young people don't have the best examples. Uh, and sometimes you see publicly like people uh, not being very Christian, but saying they are, and that can be tough. But we have this chance because Jesus died for us, because Jesus came back, because even on the cross dying, he was forgiving, to be forgiving ourselves, to be forgiven ourselves, and to show that every single day. Um, and Easter is an awesome thing, but it's not just that time of year that, that we should remember it. And it's the only time we really talk about it. But it's something that every day is true, and his death and his resurrection and his life are true every single day, and they give us this chance to be a part of something that, that is amazing to be a part of and miraculous to be a part of. And, and it gives us this chance to be like John and Peter and Mary Magdalene and all of the different followers who, who proclaimed him and loved him and tried to be like him. And really, when it comes down to it, that's all we could do is we can live our lives as a living sacrifice like he did, and we can treat other people like he treated them, and we can look at other people like he looked at them. 
But above all, we just have to give ourselves to him and then do everything we can to be like him. And that's all we could do is to try our best to be like him, to try our best to love other people, to try our best to, to treat others like we'd want to be treated, to try our best to love God, love others, and to keep doing that and doing that and doing that and building on that every day and just understanding that no matter what happens, we are not alone and we have each other, but we have him leading us along the way and helping us to do better. That's all I got.